Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Ross Walker, Giovanni Zani, and Janna Bruzzi. Before getting into today's discussion, I just wanted to quickly remind you all to hit the subscribe button so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Okay, we've had I was going to say busy week, I always say that, but it's been two themes, I think, that have been really dominating this week and and markets have really been oscillating between caring more about one or the other. And that's, um, you know, we've had the geopolitical tensions on one side and then we've had this kind of ongoing uh, reflation, central banks getting behind the curve or central bank reaction functions on the other hand. Um, It's been a big week in the US. I guess we've had a lot of Fed speak uh, and a lot of data this week. So Jan, I'm going to go straight over to you. um, after, you know, the comments from Bullard last week, the um, uh, significantly higher than expected inflation print, have we learned anything new this week, whether that be from um, the data or from the kind of slew of Fed speak, as well as the minutes from the um, February meeting? So no one really doubled down on what Bullard said about the interest rates, you know, like that they can go in 50 basis point increments. It was uh, it was sort of moderated. It, it was all very controlled, what we heard from the, uh, since since last week. I mean, I got to say, when we were recording this last week, I was kind of talking about how uh, front-end rates seemed about the right place, and then the next day we had the largest move since <laughs> 2008. I was going to let you get away with that. I didn't yeah. bring that up. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I think the markets did overreact a little bit, and we still stick to our kind of like our view for a normal size hike, but why we didn't learn anything? Well, we got the minutes yesterday, which probably would have been uh, a kind of like a, a nice snapshot of how the FOMC was thinking in March. Admittedly, that was before the strong CPI number and uh, a slew of strong data since. Uh, but that being said, before the minutes are rela- released, there is a there is some freedom to adjust the tone of the release. It, it could have been. It could have been a little bit clearer that the members are now a little bit more worried about the inflation, but it wasn't. There was no panic in there. It was all very uh, cognizant of inflation, but nothing that indicated that they need to do anything like an uh, intermediate hike or an outsized hike. So that seems to be very much so the minority view. Um, Otherwise, they they could have, again, the the minutes, because of the lack of hawkishness that we got, it sort of took out a little bit from the market pricing. And now uh, the front end is kind of moderating back to a point where uh, the probability for a hike looks more like a 25 base point. That doesn't change uh, the longer term view for on our uh, on rates. We still think rates are due to move higher, but that's not really due to faster uh, pace of hikes this year, but rather uh, a pace that they were going to start this year and continue into next year as well. So, uh, so I think that was mostly it. It was mostly a, a kind of like a rebuttal against the need for a panic, a freakout by the Fed, and and more so stick to the course and stick to what we've already communicated. So I feel like I've asked this question every week on Bondcast for like the past four weeks. Um, I'm getting bored of talking about it myself, but you you kind of answered there already that you're still sticking with this 25 basis point versus 50 basis point high. You know, I was off last week and, and didn't do Bondcast, but it seemed like we'd very quickly gone from 25 basis points to 50 basis points to even needing an intermeeting hike. Um, and so 
you know, what do you think it could take? Do you think there's anything that it can take from here to kind of shift your view from 25 to 50 basis points? Would one strong, you know, we have another inflation print before the meeting. If, if that comes out stronger, would that be enough? Or do you think now um, 25 basis points is, is pretty much nailed on and, and that's what they'll go with? It's definitely not nailed on and the, the debate is running pretty hot and uh, across the news and just generally like whatever we see from the wires is very conflicted. Uh, but like I said, it, the way I think about it is that, yeah, there's a very, very strong case to, uh, to be made to remove policy accommodation without further delay. Perhaps we should have even, you know, we should, we should not be, the Fed should not be buying bonds as we speak. Uh, but, and there could be an argument to be made to move in larger increments. But the reason I don't think uh, that would happen is, or if, even if it did, I just don't see a particular, particularly compelling reason for an additional 25 basis points. So say 15 March and then continue 25, 25, 25 going forward. For one, the Fed has already tightened financial conditions somewhat through the messaging channel. So if they kind of give in to this one, 50 basis point hike, it's not the extra delivered if 25 basis points is not going to be what changes the inflation trajectory. It's mostly the messaging. And it kind of also gives them the, the signal is that they kind of caved into market pricing and then they're going back to back to uh, back to normal and basically don't really achieve anything, giving a little bit of a shock and awe effect. And then they just pull that back immediately and I don't think that sends the right signal from a forward guidance perspective. And uh, yeah, they could be a little bit more aggressive in QT. I don't think asset sales are still in the mix for this year. And even with what they can let a lot more uh, roll down, but they're still going to be organically capped, but whatever's maturing, even though it is quite high numbers at the beginning, they're still going to be capped. Uh, so I, I think that's really the, the signaling aspect of, the 50 base points is why I don't think that we're going to get there. Two-year yields are at 1.5%, even though Fed funds are still basically zero. So uh, if they maintain the current track and if the economy realizes that uh, it can withstand actual delivered hikes, I think the, you know, the tightening will happen on its own with the forward guidance channel, as opposed to borrowing costs going by another you know, 75 basis points, 100 basis points. That's not really what's going to tip over the economy, I don't think. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess just to wrap up the discussion on, on the US, sticking with the Fed, but I guess moving away from near-term uh, policy reaction, what's going on with the current nomination process and, and is that important for the direction of policy? The short answer for the direction of policy is most likely no. Um, so what's, what's going on is that the Senate Banking Committee has... Uh, has stalled the nomination process, uh, sorry, the appointment process, uh, and by not showing quorum from the Republican side because they're opposing Sarah Bloom Raskin's appointment, uh, but they're okay with the other nominees. In, in, well, in practice, that also leaves Powell and Brainerd not reappointed, but they're still going to perform their, uh, their duties because Powell has been named the chairman pro tempore, so unless someone from the board quits, then we're actually not going to have disruption in the Federal, uh, Federal Reserve's monetary policy. The, the one extreme side of this could be uh, the, the administration nominating someone else instead of Raskin just to kind of move on. 
since it's a midterms year, they might not want to kind of optically stall the, uh, the process at the Fed while inflation is running rampant. But even so, that shouldn't really change the, the course of the Fed. It's not going to be anyone that's significantly different. If anything, it could be uh, someone who's more, even more to the center of the, of the aisle. But so far, we think that it's just a temporary setback. Monetary policy should continue course as is. Okay, thank you. All right, so I said at the beginning of the pod that we've kind of had two themes this week. The first is central banks and the second with geopolitics. So sticking with that second theme then and and moving over to you, Giovanni, in Europe, um, how are we thinking about these um, tensions, I guess, arising um, between Russia and Ukraine from uh, the kind of perspective of economic activity in the euro area, I guess, looking at it through imports and exports, how... Um, damaging or otherwise is is this going to be for Europe? Yes, sure. So if you look at really the, the export side of the story for the euro area, you know, Russia is not is not that big. I mean, it's just being hovering around 1% of GDP or even less in terms of exports. And I wouldn't expect them to uh, go to zero. So that's on the export side. On the import side, the situation is a little bit different. The numbers are slightly higher, not much higher in terms of uh, uh, euro area GDP, but they represent 50% of uh, uh, Russian exports. So in theory, it would be a bigger impact for Russia. Uh, But the reality is that all these exports are basically energy, right? So it's oil and, and gas. And so, especially in, in the current situation where supply is particularly tight on the energy market, of course, the risks are quite high for, uh, for the euro area. In theory, if there were curtailment blockages of this, of this supply of, of gas, if you look at most analysis, um, you know, the impact will be large if Russia were to stop completely uh, the provision of, of gas, it would be like, you know, north of 2% of GDP of impact. Uh, But the reality is that it's very unlikely for a lot of reasons that I won't go uh, into uh, right now, but, um, and also there's also um, uh, the fact that that there are still the possibility to substitute, to use stocks uh, right now. So the impact will not be immediate and will not be on um, on quantities, on volume. So the, the key issue remains that of you know, energy prices, basically. And, and when you say energy prices, can you, uh, you know, put into context how the kind of size of the impact there that we might be thinking about in a sort of worst case scenario? Yeah, so, I mean, it's difficult to disentangle the, uh, you know, Ukraine crisis effect from, the rest, because we have a lot of issues, you know, supply bottlenecks, uh, et cetera, uh, excess demand in some sector, manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. But let, let, let's just say that, for example, right now we have more than 50% of the current inflation rate that is driven by energy prices. And of, you know, it's 2.7 percentage point out of the 5.1 that we had in January. And around half of that is linked to uh, electricity and gas, which is like completely new. This is really an all-time high in terms of this contribution. So I, I don't know if the question is really if you know if if you have an increase in the an escalation in the crisis, if we have a lot more in terms of 
energy prices, but definitely we will have not uh, as much a slowdown that is expected in uh, futures. That is one point. The other point is that we, yeah, we could still have much higher prices, but I would say that this would be really a case where you have a much, much uh, bigger level of political and, and you know issues that go beyond the just like uh, the, the the crisis in Ukraine and, and so with, with you know really broader consequences at all levels. So you know even in the scenario that this just presents a slower than you know expected slowdown in in kind of inflation numbers that we're talking about now. What does that mean for the ECB? You know, will they be able to look through these pressures or, or does that really change their reaction function over the next kind of 12 to 18 months? Again, I think you have to make this distinction between just a, an additional element of higher prices that is driven by this crisis at the margin. And then I think they will look through it. And this is what Schnabel has said. And, you know, it's just an external negative supply shock again so it's very similar to what we've seen so far so not not really something that will will have to be taken to you know of course they will monitor the situation they will analyze it but i think that's the, the main conclusion um if the the crisis is broader you will have certainly a bigger impact on on prices but also a bigger impact on activity and there will be you know uh, bigger consideration to make, and so the context would change. But I, I don't think in just one direction. I mean, it could, could change in the uh, you know, in the opposite direction as well in terms of policy stance. And just to wrap up then on the ECB, because we've also had quite a busy week of ECB speak this week. Um, we've just had to cut short listening to to Lane, so I'm sorry about that. To record this podcast on Thursday, so have we learned anything new this week from you know the kind of slew of ECB speakers that we've had, or anything that either you know changes our view from from when we updated it a couple of weeks ago, or, or vindicates that view? Uh, I think it largely vindicates the the you know new view after after the uh, last uh, ECB meeting which is that uh, there is the sense that uh, the direction towards normalization is going to be accelerated, but a little bit with, you know, cautiously and uh, not in in haste. And and the idea that uh, QE will probably end in Q3 is what we've heard from most speakers. And also, I think an interesting point was made by Birohua in terms of maybe delinking or creating a bigger gap between the end of QE and the potential uh, move on, on rates. But you know, having said that, yeah, this is the idea. We are in normalization. Things are getting better in terms of activity of the labor market. Um, the idea that inflation will be even closer to 2% is, is being entrenched, uh, getting entrenched. And so the, the, the idea that they will uh, remove accommodation a bit faster is definitely there. And, and this is uh, confirmed. Yeah, all eyes on, on the March meeting then. All right, thank you, Jim. All eyes on the Thank you. Last- but certainly not least this week, because actually I probably could have started with the UK, given the size of the moves that, that we've had in UK rates markets this week. Um, you know, that's all been led by the front end. And it seems counterintuitive to be saying this because we still had 
you know, a beat on inflation um, on the inflation data this week. It's just, I guess, in the context of the kind of upside surprises that we've gotten used to it, it was only small. So is that led markets to really reassess the um, likelihood of a 50 basis point rather than a 25 basis point hike at, at the March meeting? Yes, definitely. Um, and as you say, the, the overshoot in inflation was quite marginal. Um, you know, it was a low 5.5% and 5.4 had been forecast. So in the bigger picture, um, given recent trends, it, it, it really doesn't alter the the inflation picture. But as you say, there was probably a fear out there prior to the, the data release that if we got a bigger overshoot, 0.3, 0.4 percentage points above expectations, as we had seen in previous months, that that could throw the BOE off its slightly cautious, steady signaling um, and, and, and you know even raise the possibility of a, a 50 basis point rise, which you know, we feel markets have, have got a little bit carried away with. Um, you know, the BOE chief economist, Hugh Pill, uh, delivered a keynote speech where, you know, okay, he's speaking as an individual, but, you know, he made a, a fairly convincing case for why they, it's better to move in quarter point steps, um, certainly in terms of shaping market expectations. And, and there was a sense that, you know, that's probably a view, that is the dominant view or the majority view within the MPC um, at the moment. So, you know, markets began to scale back some of that 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 risk of a 50 basis point rise, but pricing still looks, you know, pretty hawkish. Yeah, as it is, I guess, globally for front ends, we've talked about a lot on this podcast. So just sticking with the inflation print for, for a minute before I talk about, um, you know, the bank rate kind of beyond March, did this, I know it was only a small beat versus expectations, but does this change your outlook um, for inflation for the year in the UK? And I guess by that, I mean, you know, does it change where you think the, or when you think the peak occurs or, or where that peak possibly is that might influence policy? Yeah, so we, we published um, updated UK inflation forecast this week and raised the profile, um, certainly in the first year, to a lesser degree in, in year two. And, that, and that's primarily a function of um, wholesale energy market pricing. So, um, you know, versus a month ago, we, we, we've seen upward moves in oil and natural gas to, to some degree. Um, and, and, and that's pushing inflation up a bit. The off-gem price rise, uh, which was confirmed in the early part of this month was a little bit higher than what we'd expected. So there's some further upside there. And the offsets um, from the energy rebate that households will get, well, firstly, that doesn't come until October. And secondly, the ONS has not yet um, ruled as to how those rebates and council tax as well, how they will be captured in the inflation data. Will it be captured as a price uh, cut through, through lower bills or will it be seen as a uh, sort of almost like a separate fiscal transfer, which won't get recorded in the inflation data. So there are some further uncertainties, but the peak is still around April when that off-gem um, regulatory domestic energy price cap takes effect. Um, I, I think what's probably changed in the last couple of months in terms of our forecast is that inflation falls back uh, a little bit more slowly. Uh, now, clearly at the headline level, that picture can still change if, if energy markets um, cool and we see a clearer inversion or an earlier inversion in those those curves, then that would feed through quite quickly to, to headline inflation. But I think the bigger risk that's developing is that the, the more persistent these price shocks, these cost shocks, 
the more likely they are to uh, to become more embedded in the system and also the big risk that they, they begin to change pricing behavior more fundamentally. I don't think we're quite there yet, but you know those risks are building and and for me the big the big issue really around inflation is is not so much where it peaks but but how quickly it falls back to target and i think the risk is that the boe's forecasts may be a little bit too optimistic with inflation getting back to, to target just beyond uh, 2 years from now so what what does that imply then for rates i guess you know we've talked about the march meeting but but beyond march you know you said that markets have got ahead of themselves in terms of pricing over the next couple of weeks but even by the end of the year you know they have current well as of today on on thursday when we're recording this you know markets are pricing in rates of about you know close to two just shy of two percent really by the end of the year how does that fit with well, your inflation expectations and and where you really think bank rate needs to get to or what you're considering the kind of neutral rate for for the Bank of England? It's, I mean, it it feels like a big gap. And if you look at the the Bank of England's forecasts in in, uh, the the beginning of this month, um, those inflation projections rested on bank rate being at about one and a quarter percent at the end of this year and not quite getting to one and a half percent by the middle of 2023. And on that basis, you had over the final year of the projection, which is probably where you you get the clearest policy signal. um, They projected inflation to be averaging about 27 basis points below the 2% target. So in other words, given, you know, the BOE models seem to suggest that a quarter point rise in rates lowers inflation by about 15 basis points two years down the line, you're talking about a, a signal in, in, in the early part of this month from the BOE that the bank rate maybe only needs to get to one, perhaps one and a quarter percent, certainly not anything at the moment with a two handle. Now, of course, the BOE's view could, could change again. You know, they've been forced in a more hawkish direction. So it's understandable that markets are pricing in um, a degree of extra tightening versus what the BOE is signaling. But that gap... Um, you know, feels feels a lot. I mean, you could argue it's a, it's a full percentage point. So um, we don't think that much is going to be needed. We we reckon we put out a piece this week, just sort of looking at household debt servicing costs and the sensitivity to bank rate changes, trying to take account, of course, of uh, a higher proportion of fixed rate mortgage products. And we reckon that to get those debt servicing costs as a percentage of income back to longer multi-decade averages, bank rate probably needs to rise by about a percentage point, maybe a little bit more. Um, so again, that, that there does seem to be some disconnect between what economist models are suggesting is needed and, and, and what financial markets are pricing. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess that's kind of a phenomenon that we're seeing, well, certainly in Europe as well, of, of kind of market pricing not necessarily fitting with a where we see inflation getting to but b also the the ecb's guidance all right great well thank you everyone for joining me it's probably all we've got time for today uh but i'd just like to remind our listeners that if they like today's episode then please hit the subscribe button so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available thanks see you next week